maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. I'm really excited that we're here today only because we're getting really close to having done this show for a whole year. I know. Right? That's pretty exciting. It's pretty, it is exciting, and I'm particularly pleased our producer figured out that our one-year anniversary is also going to be our 50th episode. Which is really cool. It's sort of a nice round whole number. Well, we're only at number 48 right now, and on this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we answer your questions on rude questions about your child custody arrangement, breastfeeding at a party, how to address a doctor and a lawyer when you're writing to them, speaking up for your name, what colors can the mother of the bride wear, and service etiquette at a restaurant. All that plus a postscript segment on resolving your relationship dilemmas coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be a part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. You, we've talked about it a little we've bit. Hinted we've hinted at it. We've showed pictures on the Dinner Party Download uh, Instagram and on our Instagram page, but tell him about our new buddy. We have a new buddy. He's a little radio dog. He's a little radio dog. <laughs> the picture that Lizzie's talking about is a picture of us uh, at the VPR studios, and I'm with my new puppy, a little toy poodle. We're calling him Mochi. Oh, it's changed. It's changed. Just so you know, Mochi's name has now changed daily. And, you know— uh, We're okay with it. And I'm going to put out a little warning ahead of time. There's a good chance by next week's show there will be a new name. <laughs> and I was talking to Pooch last night. I was saying, you know, whatever we decide to call him, we're going to keep calling him the little woosy noodle, which is the thing that he's been called most frequently up to this point. My I'm cousin just going to say just right now, head I feel bad for hands. your future children, the woosy noodle. He's the little oh, woosy noodle. Woosy noodle. <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, man. That poor dog. No, he, I'm kidding. He's, he's so also adorable. a spectacular little dog. He is a toy poodle. For for those of you who aren't familiar, there's your standard poodle. There's your miniature poodle, which you would think would be a little miniature poodle. But even smaller than the miniature is the toy. toy. And it's um, he's so cute. He's absolutely adorable. But and what's it been like as a new pet owner? I mean, that's like – it's a big deal. You think about getting a pet and then you actually get yeah. the pet and it's like – Yeah, no. And, and How's that been? It's been awesome. <laughs> and in some ways, we're both new to this pet, but we're not new pet owners. Both Pooj and I have grown up with pets, have grown right. up with animals in the house. I had my own dog for years. Mm-hmm. But like any big life transition, it's always impossible to know everything, to anticipate everything that's coming. And particularly the really good and delicious transitions in life, <laughs> um, they come with surprises that are inevitable. And what were you th- well, Sorry, I'm totally interrupting you. But Raju Muchi, Slick, <laughs> Swayze has come into our he's an office dog now and he's he coming is. to what's that been like because that's like a different environment we're really fortunate that we get to bring our dogs to work you've heard us talk about it before but our dog friendly office is a treat and it a pleasure really is. but it's also um it's asking a lot of your coworkers to have an environment that's dog friendly and dog accommodating what and- surprised you because you knew everyone was going to love him i mean he's cute he's energetic he's sweet he's adorable what well, did you kind of not expect I- I was anticipating the house training issues. The biggest surprises are the little surprises. (laughs) Um, The little tiny 
slimy packages. <laughs> Although it's it's funny, we've talked some about roommate etiquette in this room and and your your three C's of commitment and compromise and communication. And yeah, they go the other uh, the, direction, but that's okay. The commitment part's the one I'm learning that really um, that I have to be consistent and good to to work with him to get to know him, and mm-hmm. that that wasn't a surprise. But I'm recommitting to commitment right now. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, he's been adorable. He's been phenomenal. He relates well to other people. That's been a real treat. So far, everyone in the office loves him, and he seems to respond, like you said, really well to everyone else, which is great. He's a lover. He's loyal. He's totally a lover. He's frisky. He's friendly. Uh, he's an absolute treat, and it's a pleasure getting to know him. But yeah. it's definitely a getting to know, like like anybody. We all have our idiosyncrasies. <laughs> idiosyncrasies? Idiosyncrasies. <laughs> and I don't know them all yet, but they, they continue to present themselves as he continues to get more relaxed and be and is more comfortable being himself. Well, I will us. say you've been a very good dog owner in terms of keeping up with those little presents that I find in my office or around the office. And you are, it's so funny because I see Dan be like, oh man, that shouldn't happen. And it's like, dude, it's okay. We're all expecting it. And that's what I love about having a dog office is that people, they do kind of expect accidents, messes, some difficulties are going to happen because you've allowed a a four-legged friend into the space and especially as a puppy. And I'm just, I'm impressed that everyone's been so patient and easy about that. They don't freak out when they find mess or they don't freak out when, you know, maybe he's, he barks or gets a little excited or something like that. Mm. It's like, no, he's a puppy and he's learning. And it's... Meet new dogs, meet new people. Um, I love... Uh, your sister likes to come by every morning and pick him up and get her snuggles. And I her. know. I'm very <laughs> jealous about this because we do not have the same reaction with Benjamin. And but it's not I quite as snuggleable, although he loves to hug. He oh, is such a lover also. he does also. love to hug, and he's incredibly sweet, but he's not her type of dog. She likes that little cute puppy dog. Yeah, like, no, but I, I couldn't be more appreciative of uh, the co-worker's response. And it's one of those risk-reward type things sure. where by, by taking that chance and having a dog-friendly office, I do think we reap rewards. There's joy to be had in that that experience. Oh, for in that sure. Office. I love it when I get to do a conference call in your office now and I just get to hold him and snuggle him. Oh. It's very cute. Well, stick around. Um, all of you out there, I, I want to promise you for years to come, we'll have photos. lots of photos and pictures. <laughs> He's not going to get his own blog or anything, but um, definitely. Uh, <laughs> but eventually he is going to settle on a name. <laughs> And if you see the picture and you get a brilliant idea for a name, please feel free Post to it. share it. <laughs> yes, most definitely. Hey, before we get our show started today, we got a lot of questions to get through. We have an we awesome postscript segment and a really great salute. But we need your help. We need you to send us within the next five or six days your questions about sports etiquette. We're going to have a guest on the show next week, fingers crossed, that our schedules all work out. But we are going to have a guest on to talk about... Our favorite season that's coming up, which is football season. I know you were thinking back to school. But, I know. Um, no, yeah, we don't. We're, we're out of school. We're not thinking about that. We don't have kids yet. We're not thinking about that. It's football season, and it's fantasy football season. The fall is upon us. So get your sports questions, particularly get your fantasy football questions yeah. in and submitted in the next couple of days, and we'll try to, to get them processed for our show with our fantasy football guest expert coming soon. <laughs> what do you think? Should we get to those questions? Let's do it. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. 
On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave, and our first one begins. Hello, I was hoping you could help me with a problem. I'm divorced and share 50-50 custody of my kids with my ex-husband. My problem is that when people I'm getting to know, new coworkers, new friends, my friends' families, etc., ask about my arrangement and I tell them, I'm met with negative looks and or insensitive comments and questions such as, did you have a drug problem? Or don't mothers usually get the kids most of the time? Or even, okay, that's weird. I know these people are just trying to find out more, but these questions and comments are coming across to me as judgmental and sometimes a little cruel. I used to be embarrassed, but now I'm getting upset because I don't think men get these same questions. My close friends have told me to tell these people it's none of their business, but I feel that's responding to rudeness with more rudeness. Do you have any advice here? I'm about to start asking these same people if they'd have the same response if I were a man. But again, rudeness doesn't fix rudeness. Thanks. Halftime mom. Oh, halftime mom. I'm, I have to say my, my first reaction to your question is one of surprise. Right? And, and surprise that you would be getting this kind of reaction from people to what, to my eyes, a really common and, and oftentimes um, desirable situation where right. both parents want to share custody of their kids. Right. Far from seeming unusual to me. This makes a lot of sense to me. And, and right off the bat, I would say I think you've absolutely and correctly identified those types of responses as rude, as pushy, as— Cruel even. Um, I mean— Yeah, judgmental and severely cruel. Severely judgmental. Absolutely. So responding to those rude questions, I, I, I like— the place that you're starting from of not wanting to respond in kind, but right. really thinking about what the best way to handle that might be. I'd actually really like to go through because these I was so shocked when I read Halftime Mom's question about the question she's receiving that I wanted to give her some ammo. I wanted to give her something to say back to these three specific questions. Lizzie Post comebacks. <laughs> <laughs> Notebooks ready. <laughs> The first one that you listed was, did you have a drug problem? I mean, A, severely personal, extremely rude and presumptuous. And and I think that actually responding with a little bit of shock is okay. Entirely appropriate. I would I would probably say something like, excuse me. Um, no, I didn't. But I'll admit I'm concerned as to why you drew that conclusion so quickly. Or I don't understand why you think that would be the problem or, mm-hmm. you know, is that your typical first response? Like, even with that little bit of questioning humor, like, really? Did you just ask me that? I, I, you know, and I, I like the spirit, too, there of, like, non-judgmental good humor as part of the reply. So <laughs> it's not like a super nasty sarcastic, but just, no, excuse me. I'm sorry. That that seems really extreme. Why, 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 why are you, are you asking that? that question? Yeah, I think that that would be okay. Um, <laughs> you can obviously also just respond no and then say, you know, I think I'm going to go on. talk to someone else. The next one, you said, don't mothers usually get kids most of the time? Um, the quickest response I can give you to that is every family or split is different, but 50-50 is pretty common. And it truly is. The, most of the parents I know have 50-50 custody mm-hmm. of their kids, and it works out really well for them. I don't think you have to explain that other than just every family or split is different. Mm-hmm. And then the Okay, that's weird. I would fire right back with a question. I'm curious as to why you think that's weird. Or you could say, really? I don't think so. It works for us. Or you could just simply state, no, not really weird. Yep. Like, And I think that it's fine. These people have put you in a very uncomfortable position. And I'm not suggesting putting them in an uncomfortable position. But I do think each of these responses lets them know 
that maybe this was them thinking out loud and they mm-hmm. should have kept those thoughts to themselves. It's a good reminder to keep that filter yeah. <laughs> on. Her question ends, Halftime Mom's question ends talking about um, that she's really frustrated thinking that men don't get these same questions. And I admit I haven't done any polling. I have no research to suggest this. But I I think unless you're actually seeing that happen, like you're standing next to a divorced dad who someone isn't asking those things of Mm -hmm. um, and you're seeing the comparative happen, I I don't think you should just assume that's happening because I I think traditionally I've actually – felt that more of the time dads are blamed in divorces and and they're told like, you know, I, I think people are more willing to believe the dad had some kind of problem. And I would be careful about just jumping to the assumption that it's a male female thing and instead just tackle it as a this is clearly you're running into a lot of people who are not keeping their very strange thoughts to themselves. Keeping the focus on positive honesty. I think is really smart. And you respond to the particular of the question mm-hmm. um, with with as little attachment or a little grievance as possible. So, no, you give, <laughs> give the answer. Establish the, the, no, the very safe territory problem. that you're operating from. And, and if you want to engage that question, engaging it with, with positive honesty and maybe even asking where that question comes from because that might start to help someone identify exactly what it is they're communicating when they ask you that question. Right. In the end, you can always cut it off. You can always say something like, I'm sorry, I'd rather not discuss that, but I'd love to hear about your work or garden club, cooking class, whatever it is that, that was the, the other thing that was Pick probably topic, bringing you together. Pick a topic, any topic on the safe tier um, topic list. So, so you don't have to engage either. Yeah. But again, if, if you want to do some good in the world, that's our, our best advice and good luck. Our next question has to do with party etiquette of a slightly different variety. Lizzie and Dan. First, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of the show. I love listening to you guys on my way into work or when I'm cleaning my apartment. The discussions around etiquette are always interesting, and listening to the show has caused me to be more courteous in those small day-to-day interactions with people that I used to rush through. You guys are a trusted source, and I could use your perspective on an issue that's currently dividing my friend group. You would be surprised that there is an issue about behavior that could drive grown adults into such heated debate, but apparently there is and involves the act of breastfeeding in public. During a recent birthday party for a close friend of mine, one of the guests started breastfeeding her baby in front of the other guests. The party was held at my friend's house, and the majority of the guests were in the living room when the mom, who was situated in the middle of the room, started feeding her baby. The woman didn't use a nursing cover or cloth, and as a result, most of the guests in the room saw her breast when she took it out. Later, as my boyfriend and I were walking back to our car, several of our friends brought up what happened and a heated debate broke out, as some in the group felt like it was inappropriate behavior for her to breastfeed without a cover. Others mentioned that a mother shouldn't be shamed into using a cover, as oftentimes the babies don't like it, and suggested the process is easier without one. As a young woman who plans to have children one day, I would love to know what is the appropriate etiquette for breastfeeding during a party. Best, Jennifer. Ooh, this is actually a pretty loaded question. We um, this this is really sensitive topic, and I just want to start out that um, I'm going to recognize both sides of it, and I am prepared to get heated responses from <laughs> from you about it. I think that's um, that's wise. That's fair. So <laughs> we're ready for it. Um, but I am going to say that we have given a lot of thought to this, and so please, I hope you can have an open mind with our response and just follow us as to how we got there. Number one, I really want to recognize that breastfeeding is incredibly natural and a wonderful and and 
immensely bonding part of raising a baby. Um, It is nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about at all. That being said, I want to recognize the other side, and that's that not everyone is at a stage in their life where breastfeeding is an everyday occurrence for them. Or some moms who aren't able to breastfeed might be really sensitive to seeing something that they themselves aren't able to do. Um, I've actually had some people write in about that and say it's it's really frustrating and they don't know how to bring it up without exposing their own emotions. But when it's not an everyday occurrence for you, it can make some people, both men and women, uncomfortable. Um, Typically, as Americans, we are not a tops-off culture, and therefore an exposed breast in public, um, even if it's in a friend's home, can cause some people to be uncomfortable, and that's what we want to avoid. So the goals are um, for mom and baby to have a comfortable, clean, and quiet space to breastfeed, Um, and the other goal is to take into account other people's comfort levels. Since it's best for both mom and baby to have that relaxed, calm feeding, uh, we suggest that you find a quiet, private place and that that's really the the preferable thing to do. Um, While it's great to open people up to the idea that breastfeeding is natural, nothing to be ashamed about, even to show proudly that you are not ashamed of this. You might even be very proud of this. It's important to respect the fact that other people might not be ready to go there with you. Um, And simply, um, I want to be gentle about this language, but I'll admit another word is failing me, Sudan, if you come up with one, jump Mm -hmm. in. But kind of forcing that upon someone by taking your breast out in the middle, as you're situated as this woman was in the middle of the room at a party, it does automatically put it on those people who may be uncomfortable with it. And I'm not sure that that's really a fair thing to do to them when this is a place where you actually do have other options. We talk about moms who go to restaurants where we say, you know, try and ask for a booth seat or a seat somewhere that's just not in the very middle of the room. We don't say that you have to go to the restroom to feed your baby. I don't think that's always the most clean or comfortable place to have to try to do a feeding. We don't say you have to go out to the car, but we do say you want to try to find a place where you can be discreet about it. And again, it's not because you should feel ashamed. It's not because breastfeeding is wrong, but it does make some people uncomfortable. And you just don't know what those comfort levels are. You know, I, I like the approach, having an awareness of how your actions impact and affect other people and having a, a perspective that allows you to balance right. the, the needs and wants and what's appropriate for you and your child with the social expectations of other people. In this particular case, some of the things that jump out at me is that you're talking about a guest. It's not the home of the person. There's not mm-hmm. a particular... Um, uh, rule or standard established in the home. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a guest here. So talking to a host about finding a quiet place, maybe a more discreet place, um, seems like a reasonable option to suggest to me. It's not so an airplane. <laughs> no, there, and there, there are options. So yeah. when those options exist, you take, s- making every effort to accommodate everyone's comfort, right. including you and your baby, and is, it's, is sound advice. It's true that some babies do have a hard time feeding when there's a, a cloth covering them or a shawl or something like that. And so asking for that that other space or trying to find a little bit of private privacy and, and discretion in it does allow for that feeding to go as smoothly as possible. Um, if your baby's a baby that doesn't have a problem being covered, that might even be comforted by that, it's perfectly okay to to then cover your baby and do the breastfeeding um, because then you aren't in a position of having the exposed breast, which 
I we're going back to that whole we're a top song culture and you might be okay, you know, showing that to the world, but the world might be not quite as comfortable seeing it. And it is one of those things that you just have to understand and find that balance between. So, Jennifer, we hope that that answers your question. Our suggestion is to cover up when possible. If that's not something that the baby works well for the baby, then it's best to find a place that's more private and quiet where you can breastfeed discreetly. We absolutely recognize it's a very personal decision. We hope that our thoughts on the matter have added a little something to the discussion. What's in a name? Hello, Liz and Dan. My name is Melinda, but people often end up calling me Melissa or Melanie or some other variation. Of course, this makes me uncomfortable and I want to correct them, but I also don't want to come across as snobby. If it is said in passing and the professor is asking me a question or if it is in front of a group of people, what's the best way to handle this situation so it doesn't seem like I'm making a big deal, but also so that I get my point across? Thank you, Mel. Oh, Mel, <laughs> this is a classic, and there's no need to make too big a deal of it. It's not a fraught situation. You just consistently and persistently remind people of the correct way to say your name until they get it right. And I love how you identify a couple of situations here where you might pause. You might wait just a minute when your uh, professor is addressing you that way in front of the class, shooting your hand up. No, 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 my name's Melinda. It could seem like a challenging of, of, of him in a very public way or her in a very public way. So definitely just check in with them after class. Be like, you know, during class, you called him. He called me Melissa. My apologies. <laughs> My name is Melinda. And, and I just want to be sure that you know. <laughs> it can be a very simple thing. It doesn't need to be a big deal. You're not yeah. calling them out. You're just giving them the information so they can get it right next time. We deal with this all the time. Dan gets actually so many phone calls at the Institute for Danielle. Oh, which course, is I yeah. answer the phone. May I speak with Danielle Post-Sunning? It is Daniel, just so you know. And it, I let them know that because that way they know they're going to be speaking with a man and they do have the right person when they call. Yeah. But I'm always interested in that. And I get Libby and Lisa and Lizzie sounds so much like Lindsay when mm -hmm. you say it that I am in your boat, Melinda. I am all the time correcting people. So just do it and keep it up and no need to invest too much in it. We hope that helps. Good luck. <laughs> Melinda. <laughs> My name is Kay Stencil, and I would like to ask, how do I address an envelope to my son, who is an attorney, and his wife, who is a doctor, a MD doctor? I don't know the proper way to do this, and they've been married over 22 years. I've never found, I always say, to the Nick Stencil family. But this time I want to send an anniversary card to the two of them. Kay, thank you so much for calling in and leaving your message. This is actually a pretty common question that we get. It is always amazing how throughout the generations, no matter what, it is complicated figuring out what titles to use and when to use them. When it comes to the particular situation you're talking about where the wife is a doctor and the husband is an attorney, what you do is you list her name with her title first since the majority of doctors use their titles socially. However, the majority of attorneys, you do not put Esquire at the end of a social title. So it might be Dr. Joan Stencil and Mr. Jonathan Stencil. And that's how you would address it to the two of them. But how lovely of you to send a card. And I like that for their anniversary, you're sending it to the, specifically the two of them. If she doesn't use her title socially, then you would want to find out if, you know, she's 
it, well, and I just assumed that she had taken his name. She may have kept her own name. So obviously, if her last name isn't Stencil, then don't put Stencil. But um, you would want to just double check that if she doesn't use it socially, does she prefer to go by his name or does she prefer to use her own name? And whichever way it is, that's what you put on the card. We hope that helps and we hope that they have a lovely anniversary. Our next question begins, Lady in Red. Is it okay for the mother of the bride to wear red? The wedding is this New Year's Eve at 8 p.m. in our church. The reception is at our country club. The bridesmaids are wearing navy blue. Red poinsettias will be set in the church decorating the altar and on the window ledges along the outside aisles. Signed, Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lady in Red, thank you for asking one of the classic etiquette questions, which is what is the mother of the bride supposed to wear to a wedding? And the answer is something that makes her look good and feel good (laughs) and something that the rest of the family can appreciate. It is perfectly okay for the mother of the bride to wear any color. The actual color doesn't matter. What matters is that her dress isn't going to distract from the bride that the focus will still be on the couple. Um, Red for a New Year's Eve wedding, I think, is totally appropriate. Red's a very seasonal color in the winter. I think it would look great. I think that as long as it's not going to distract from the bride, I think it's in good taste. I don't think it's a problem. And I would just double check with the bride and make sure that she's okay with it. If there's any reason that she feels uncomfortable, yes, I might consider trying to wear something else just so that she's not stressed out on her big day. But... From our point of view, red is A-OK for the mother of the bride to wear. Best of luck, and we hope the wedding is a smashing hit. Hello, this is Nicole Nasheri from Chicago, Illinois. What I was wondering about was when I'm at dinner at a restaurant, when I was a waitstaff person, I was taught to always serve the eldest woman first and then the eldest man. And, you know, if it was all one gender, to go by the, the eldest person. And that's how you were intended to take orders and serve food. I've been to restaurants recently where I've been the only woman in the group, and they don't start with me. And so I'm wondering, you know, am I wrong to be put off by this? Or, uh, you know, is this still something that is held in good establishment? Hi, Nicole. Thank you for your question. We love those voicemail calls. It's so nice to hear the the tone and quality of your voice. Yes. <laughs> This question, I think there's a, a couple different parts to it. Um, you're wondering about the order that, that food is brought out in. And definitely traditionally, you could identify the guest of honor and starting with elders, particularly in social situations where there's not an obvious organizational hierarchy, is a good way to identify who to honor with um, first service or for, uh, first order. Um, it's also true that in a lot of restaurants today, the the service isn't so organized that the food is all prepared to come out at the table at the same moment and that they're, they're even necessarily thinking about how they're honoring guests at the table with how they deliver or serve the food. I think that it's much more common today that um, waitstaff is bringing out food as it comes up, as it's presented to them, that they're distributing at the table depending on whose back is to the wall, where mm-hmm. they have access to the table, which plate is in which hand first. And I think you're right that really excellent service where people are really paying attention to the table and they're really working to deliver that next level of of quality care, that next standard of service, the type of service that you're talking about is still 
um, appreciated, appreciated yeah. and, and a norm. Yeah. But it's also true that the nature of service in, in our society has changed dramatically in the last 10, 15, 20 years. The number of people eating out goes up, 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 up every year. Mm-hmm. The size of the service industry gets bigger and bigger. The types of food that are delivered to your table and, and the, the different levels of service that are available in the marketplace is, is greater than it's ever been before. And what people are taught as servers really varies. I've known servers that have never learned things like leave left, retrieve right, or start with the eldest female first. And I've known other places where that's absolutely how it goes. I mean, sometimes it's a it's a question of efficiency, like Dan is saying, who's easiest to get to, or that server in order to remember your orders because she's not allowed to write them down because that's how that restaurant wants to be always you know, starts with a certain position in the room and then moves around. There are mm-hmm. lots of different ways that they organize it. But I like the fact that Dan is talking about um, that this is the, what you are talking about is the next level of service. And it's wonderful when it is present. Yeah. In social settings, we, we also look at the new gender equality. And that's caused a lot of people to approach service in different ways. Also, some servers will come to a table and say, where should I start? Because they really want to let the table decide. They don't want to make the assumption that it's going to be ladies first in this particular situation. One of our our sample problems in uh, our business etiquette seminars is at the end of the meal, if you're a woman and you're host for a meal, how do you handle it if the waiter comes to the table and presents the bill to the man at the table who happens to be your client and the person that you've invited who is Mm -hmm. your guest? And in business situations. Now, I'm not sure that your server would actually know this because they don't always know who's at a business lunch and who isn't. But Mm -hmm. in business situations, as you mentioned, I would not worry so much about not being honored as the woman at the table because we do say that in business, it's a gender neutral environment and you want to be on that even playing field. Absolutely. Thank you for the question. It's a great service question. I like that you're diving into this area of all of our lives that's taking more and more of all of our time. And that's that's a fact of life and the, the world, the way we're all living in it now. And I definitely think having ideas about different service standards and being able to identify what type of service environment you're in is one of the keys to interacting well. So good luck, bon appetit, and enjoy. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your questions on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, please feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a message for us on our answering machine, 802-866-0860, or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. A sunrise and sunset Since the beginning, it hasn't changed yet The people fly high Begin to lose sight I'm excited about our Postscript segment today. I am too. You came up with it in the... In the car, car this, car morning. this morning. And, um, We're going th- back to the beginning. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Yep. We're going back to the beginning. So, Wait, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we're both <laughs> so excited. Start, we both want to start, do it. To start. So I actually do receive all of the questions that you send in, and I love reading them. And it 
it makes me so happy to read them. But I've noticed that a lot of the questions and Dan and I were talking about it. There must be some reality to the cosmos or something like that, because (laughs) it does seem like things come in waves. And we notice this with your questions as well. So one of the things we've noticed is that people are really struggling right now with deeply personal relationship problems, not so much between significant others, but between family members, between very close friends. There are rifts and uncomfortable things that are happening between these people that you really need to have good relationships with. And we're getting close to to where we started with the show talking about consideration, respect and honesty. So we decided to maybe go back and revisit the lesson that we covered in our very first episode on the problem-solving process and the approach to etiquette that we use at the Emily Post Institute when we encounter a difficult relationship situation. The the big picture idea is that uh, we have a definition of etiquette at Emily Post that's a combination of manners and principles. And for those of you that are longtime listeners of the show, it's going to be really familiar material, but it bears repeating. Lizzie and I repeat it every day. It's the process that we <laughs> (laughs) go through when we we try to solve these problems. So our etiquette definition with manners and principles acknowledges that there are manners. There are time and location, event-specific social expectations that we have of each other that are important, that help put some boundaries and some parameters on, on all of our social interactions, give us some clues as to how to behave. We also think that there's another part of the equation, that the principles of consideration, respect, and honesty are critically important or are are not just co-equally important but are the the foundation, the underpinning for those really good manners. While manners are critically important for giving us a sense of what to expect of others and what to expect of ourselves in a given situation, those foundational principles of consideration, respect, and honesty stay consistent through time and uh, across cultures and across cultural boundaries and can – really be a guide. For us at the Emily Post Institute, they're they're the guide that we use to assess the value and utility of manners as they come and go from fashion and they come and go from use. So this this relationship, this play between the manners, the particular social expectations and the principles that they're meant to express of of consideration, respect and honesty is constantly at work. And we have a little problem-solving process that we use to apply those values to a particular situation. And we really want to encourage you to look, especially when your question isn't the question that's answered on the air or it's not the question that we're able to respond to directly. We want you to be able to take this section, this method, and apply it to your situation. And hopefully you'll feel that sense of confidence that your solution in the end was the thing you felt most comfortable and good about doing. So hmm. our goal is to give you this so that you you can handle the situation even if we aren't able to help you. Yeah. So we start off by identifying who's affected in a situation. You try this to look at consideration part. all the parties and it's, it's consideration. Who's affected? How are they affected? What's going on in the particular situation? Oftentimes it's people on two sides. Of an etiquette situation. When you're talking about a social expectation, there's usually people on either side of it. And those people are usually connected to other people. So it's a good idea to look at the the parties involved and then the connections to those parties involved because those are all going to play in. They're all going to be factors. Right. So in the business world, we often, for instance, say, so it might be you and your coworker, but the other people that might be affected might also be your boss or the client or the reputation of the company. So use that as a good example for how to think more broadly of how 
how there are other people that might not be the the two actually in conflict that could be affected by this conflict. Hmm. Those are the people. That's who's affected and how are they affected. Step number two is looking at all the potential solutions for all of these people that are affected by this situation. Hmm. And you really want to see what is everything? And you can list the good solutions, the bad solutions, the solutions that are good for you but bad for other people, the solutions yep. that are bad for <laughs> you but good for other people. So just think in your mind of all the different ways that this could play out. And, and just think about them. Let yourself think about all those solutions. Well, you said one of my favorite tips yeah. for this part of the process is think about the bad ones. Yeah. Because you, want, you, you want a couple things on the list that represent your impulsive or extreme reactions so that you can have them on the scale of things that you're considering yeah. as things to obviously strike, but they'll, they'll, they'll put some boundaries, some parameters on exactly. the problem that you're talking so about. So think about the best outcomes, the worst outcomes, and then divide up those best and worst based on maybe it's best for some and worse for others and play around till you see kind of every way that this could play out that you could possibly think and of. And by giving yourself a range of choices to make there, by giving yourself a set of options, you can proceed to step three. Which, oh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> step number three is that you would, you want to apply respect. And that's where you're going to look at all of these solutions that you've now come up with, and you're going to start weighing out which ones positively affect people, which ones negatively affect people, which are going to honor the person that you're working with and, and who they are in the situation, and which probably aren't going to respect them very much at all. So you, all you're doing in this situation is just figuring out, oh, that would work out great for Dan, but really not for me. Well, this, we both kind of have to concede on certain things. And yeah, the solution would be okay, but we probably neither would be too happy about it. Oh, that would work out great for me, but not for Dan at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to start weighing that out. And all you're doing is weighing it because step number four is the step where you make your choice. And we think of this as the honesty step because it has to be a choice that you can feel good about, that you can make with sincerity and with integrity as a person. So you've identified who's impacted. You've identified how they're impacted. You've identified a set of different solutions or responses that you might make. And then you make your choice. And you make it from a place of honesty and sincerity, integrity as a person. That this is really going to be the best solution. For everybody involved. Step five. I like step five. I think step five is really important, and it's the subtlety. Yep. Step five is your refinement process. Steps five where you find the benevolent or the kind truth. <laughs> if you've used honesty to make that that choice, um, refinement is the step where you can refine that honesty. You can take it from a maybe a harsh truth or harsh reality to a, a subtler, <laughs> more palatable to everybody truth or reality. It's also the step where you can take something a little bit further. So let's say mm-hmm. that you may – often we say that – Sometimes you have to take the hit. The great example of this is is shaking hands with someone that you just saw uh, sneeze, sneeze into, into their, their hand. hand. And you're, you know, you're at a business function. You're going to shake that hand. And the question is, do you put your hand on that slimy, snotty hand? Or do you say, no, I can't. Do you lie about it? But then you get caught about the lie later. You know, we go through this whole scenario. And at the end of the day, the refinement for this solution, we always say, you take the hit. You shake the hand because the very next thing you can do is say, it's such a pleasure to meet you. You talk for a brief minute and then you say, excuse me, I'll be right back. And you just go wash your hand. And that's the refinement. If you're taking the hit, you find that way to make it easier on yourself. 
if, moving forward in the future. Exactly. Maybe you're going to not put yourself in that same position again. Maybe you're... Or maybe it's a solution that the refinement is you've apologized for something, but you're also going to go a step further and come up with a system for the future so it doesn't happen again. Um, maybe that refinement is you've apologized for something, but you're going to send flowers or a note or something that will help ease the situation and make amends further. And sometimes that mm-hmm. refinement is just the the hintest turn of a phrase or, or little, shading of tone. Of phrase, yeah. um, what do you think of my new dress? That's absolutely atrocious. I can't believe you spent good money on it. Honest. <laughs> that is honest. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Dan, refine it for them. <laughs> you know, that dress is so you. <laughs> Finding really? the finding Ouch. the oh, kind truth, finding the benevolent truth. <laughs> I, 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 oh, that me. dress is so you. <laughs> your know. real thought is it's atrocious. It's something. It's kind and it's true. Dan's right though. It it is. It's like oh, I know how much you love that yeah. color. That might be that might be a good uh, refinement. That, yeah, that's going to keep you warm all winter. Yes, what, what, that's what, the one your mom always is, uses. But, I love that one. A, a slight turn of the phrase can take the harsh truth and, and turn it into a kind or benevolent truth. So step one is consideration. Step two is to find those solutions. Step three is to analyze the solutions using respect. How is everybody affected by each of those solutions? Step four, choose the solution that's going to honestly and genuinely be best for all parties involved or at least the most parties involved. And step five is if there's any way you can refine it to make the situation better, go for it. We hope that that (laughs) helps you with your situation because we care very much so that you you listen to our podcast. You are here wanting to make the world a nicer place and we can't always answer every single question. So we want to make sure you get the tools to answer the question on your own. Thank you for your thoughtful questions. Thank you for your critical thinking about the relationships in your life. We really hope that helps. And with that, Shall we get on to our etiquette salute where we can talk about someone who has made everyone's lives just so wonderful? I love this end. (laughs) (laughs) Today's etiquette salute begins, hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have an etiquette salute for you, but it's a little different from a normal salute because it's not about a great act of etiquette so much as a great act of gift giving. But I still think you guys will appreciate it. A few years ago, my husband's grandmother passed away unexpectedly. Many people sent cards and flowers, and of course, those were all lovely and much appreciated. But my husband's employer sent something that was incredibly thoughtful and, it turned out, incredibly useful. Snacks. They sent a lovely, tasteful basket full of fruit, crackers, candy, and other ready-to-serve snacks. None of the family members live in the grandmother's hometown, so in the days surrounding the funeral, everyone was either driving back and forth from their homes over an hour away, staying in hotels, or staying in the grandmother's home. She, of course, had not planned for house guests, so there was very little food in the house. On the day of the funeral, her church provided food for the wake, which was, of course, a great help. But other than that, nobody really had the time, forethought, or frankly, the energy and desire to cook or prepare food. Many family members didn't eat much themselves, and we had visitors coming in and out of the house all day to pay their respects and help with the estate. It was so helpful to have that basket of snacks sitting out on the table. Without it, we wouldn't have had anything to offer guests, and many family members likely wouldn't have remembered to eat. There was a good variety, so everyone could find something, and cleanup was minimal. It definitely played a big part in giving everyone the energy to make it through the day. It was a small gesture, likely no more expense or effort than sending flowers, but it really meant a lot to us. 
I know some people might be unsure about sending a gift basket to a funeral, but the presentation was completely tasteful and appropriate. The thoughtfulness of that gift has stuck with me over the years, and I thought it deserved a special shout-out. Sincerely, Lauren in Oklahoma. Thank you for sharing that, Lauren. I, I know that is gift-giving etiquette, but that is definitely etiquette etiquette. That is... Um, it's a good salute. It's a really good salute, and it's a good tip. Thank you for that, that end-of-life advice. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? Thanks. says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? That's our show for today. As always, we thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, especially for next week's episode that we are recording on fantasy football etiquette or just sports etiquette in general. Your etiquette salutes and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute or Awesome Etiquette. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. You can also leave us a message at 802-866-0860. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. Our show is produced by Hans Butek. 